Welcome back to On the Nose with Jewish Currents. Our second ever podcast is happening and we all have crazy mic setups and we've decided to combine this um, mic setup experience with literally all of our domestic partners who are here joining us um, to really complete the social experiment of this podcast. Um, so we've spent quite a lot of time figuring out how microphones work and here we all are. Uh, we recently did a conversation about quote unquote intermarriage. Um, there really isn't a, a less gross word for it. So this is the one that we will be using. Um, and we talked about a lot of interesting things. What, for example, what it actually means to pass down a secular, a kind of vague secular Judaism um, and the ways that that feels maybe in some ways too close to like the white nationalist 14 words <laughs> that talks about sort of the uh, continuation of the white race and that kind of discomfort. We talked about um, the difficulty of taking uh, Jewish continuity conversations outside of the, the realm of the family and whether that was possible. Um, and we also talked about sort of challenging the continuity framework on its own and kind of embracing the finitude of, of the entire um, framework, uh, which was really beautiful. And you should read that conversation. Um, it really helped me in thinking through a lot of things. But one of the main responses that we got on Twitter where we hear all of the complaints about everything that we do um, is that we weren't actually centering uh, the voices of partners and domestic partners who are not Jewish in the conversation. And so uh, we have done that. And here we are. <laughs> There's eight of us here. Um, and we're here with our spouses and uh, domestic flatmates. And we're about to have this conversation. I'm sorry, this is such a bizarre way of introducing this, but we're still getting used to it. Um, so I guess we will just start with, um, with introducing ourselves. Um, Nathan, do you want to take us away? Yeah, I'm Nathan Goldman. I'm the managing editor of Jewish Currents. I'm Bridget. I'm married to Nathan. Uh, and uh, I'm Jewish. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, grew up Catholic. I, uh, I guess I've been practicing Judaism for a while now. Uh, and I began the formal process of converting uh, at our reform shul earlier this year. Cool. Um, maybe Dan and Ari, you guys should go next. Um, hi, I'm Ari Brostoff. I'm the culture editor at Jewish Currents. And I'm Daniel Drake, Ari's uh, Catholic uh, domestic roommate. <laughs> <laughs> I invented that term for this podcast. It's it's good. We should clarify that we are um, not only not married, but also um, not a couple, but we do uh, share a home and love each other very much. <laughs> We're what the queers call a found family. Yes. Um, as I said, I'm Marielle Angel, I'm the editor-in-chief of Jewish Currents. And I'm Michael McCann. I'm her partner. 
I'm technically Jewish, as it was said in the conversation. Um, but I was raised secular. My parents are Buddhists. Um, I'm Nora Kaplan-Bricker. I'm the web editor of Jewish Currents. I'm Tom Stackpole. I'm married to Nora. Uh, I, I was sort of raised Protestant, sort of. Um, I, my mother is Catholic, and we went to a congregational church in Massachusetts like once a year-ish around Christmas. So, um, you know, I didn't really have a religious upbringing to speak of. And we are non-practicing secular people who are talking about what it means for our family to be, our household to be uh, Jewish, as we as we talked about in the conversation the other week. All right. Well, so I think the place to start is just that I know that actually the conversation itself that we had as a staff opened up conversations uh, in our homes after that. And so, I don't know, I thought we could just talk a little bit about what came up in conversation or like, what were some first impressions of that conversation? Was it sort of like, why are we even having this or whatever? Um, and what were the conversations like following, following that? You know, I think one of the things that um, we started talking about is when Nora's Jewish identity started to matter in our relationship, um, because it was really a non factor for the early days, I would say it wasn't, you know, it wasn't something we talked about. It wasn't something, you know, I really thought about. Um, I don't think we really had serious conversations about, you know, what your Jewish identity meant or, or how you defined it until we decided to get married, which opens up a whole, you know, rabbit's hole of, of stuff about family traditions and, and, you know, what, you want to replicate and what you want to leave behind and what it means to replicate, uh, you know, inherited parts of your identity. So I think one of the things that we started to do is sort of create a timeline of, you know, how did we define things at different moments and, and, you know, to what extent did, did, you know, we even really talk about you being Jewish. And where was that? Where's, what's the timeline like? I mean, I think it was really around getting married um, because we had to, you know, we had to start talking about like, all right, well, what is, what does a service look like and what sort of traditions do we want to draw on? And as non-religious people, it was like, well, we don't believe in God. And so that's, you know, we're just skipping that part. Um, but, you know, we started talking about, well, you know, like, should we, are we, are we like starting from scratch? Are we like doing a, like a, a, a collage of cultural traditions where we sort of like mix and match and create some sort of, some sort of like tapestry of, of, uh, you know, inherited traditions. And I think we ended up doing something that is probably like pretty down the line of, uh, you know, pulling some, you know, basically having a, a Jewish ish ceremony, um, with some elements of, of, um, Protestantism pulled in, but, um, who married you? We were married by, so the synagogue that I grew up going to, um, and I will say, I think one of the things that's been interesting is that our perception of like, whether we ever talked about me being Jewish is not the same. Like, I think your perception is that it was essentially 
like out of the frame until we had to figure out whether it factored into an actual wedding. And I don't think that's exactly how it feels to me, but it's interesting that that's how it feels to you. It's like interesting to learn that. Um, but I grew up going to a conservative shul, so that rabbi could not have married us. Um, and there was no reformed synagogue around when I was a kid. And so I don't know where there was no like obvious rabbi who could marry us. And so we instead asked a sort of like lapsed congregationalist pastor who had actually sort of like left the church already and was sort of becoming a folk singer essentially, but like lived in the town that I'm from <laughs> and um, had officiated a really incredible like memorial service for a family friend who died. And we were like, cool, we like her. And so she married us, um, but she's not Jewish at all. Nora, did you like, when you hear him say that, that it didn't come up until then, like how did, did so you felt like it did come up? How do I want to say this? I think that I had some religious education. So I grew up going to synagogue several days a week. So even though I wasn't doing that by the time we met when I was in my early 20s, it was still sort of like part of the fabric of my like life experience, I guess. So it sort of just, it never was not like there was ever a way that I would not be aware of being Jewish. And in fact, I think when I started going home with you, Tom, and meeting your family, which is solidly not a Jewish family, I was really aware of being Jewish actually like more actively probably than at any previous juncture in my life because I grew up in a college town functionally like surrounded by Jewish families very similar to my own Jewish family like Jewish families of like academics who lived in a college town in New England which is like probably a particular flavor but it was one I sort of grew up surrounded by um and your family you're not you're from we're from the same state. We're from sort of the same like micro regional culture of like being people who grew up in New England, but your family is like from a totally different strand of like re regional micro culture than mine. Like they live near the water. They love boats. They drink gin. Like my family can't drink <laughs> gin. Like they just literally like physically can't do it. And that's probably unfair to my dad who will say that he likes gin, but like you know, there's just, everything is different. Like the culture is different. And so when I started going home with you, I was like, wow, this is a totally different world in a way that I, you know, I, it made me feel aware of being Jewish, but what does being, in, in what way, I'm not exactly sure, but it made me feel aware of it. So even if it felt like a non-issue to you, I felt aware of it, I guess is what I would say. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, I think when I say that it came up around our wedding, I think it was the first time that we had that I saw it as like, oh, this is a thing we have to figure out. Because, you know, a lot of our early conversations were sort of like unpacking family dynamics and sort of like figuring it out where we came from. And then as a part of that, figuring out sort of what we had in common in terms of shared vision for being in the world. Um, and so I think the wedding brought up stuff of like, oh, well, we have to like make decisions about how we're going to officially incorporate, you know, a religious identity or, you know, part of this cultural identity, you know, as we're figuring out what, you know, what our sort of forward facing family identity is, we need to make some like pseudo official decisions about that. Um, obviously the fact that you were Jewish came up before 
before we got married. I was aware. <laughs> I'd heard about it. <laughs> yeah. So it, it came up. It became, it became something we actually talked about when we tried to externalize it, I guess. is Yeah, is maybe something I could agree is true. Could I ask one more question and then maybe we'll circulate a little bit? Um, like, do you feel like it's come up since your wedding or is that like the only time that it came up? Because I know, Nora, in the conversation that we had, you were kind of like questioning whether this was even a conversation worth having. You were sort of like, my, you know, my husband is just like, you know, socioeconomically, racially, like, in, in a lot of education wise, like we are in the same strata. And so like, this is a really easy kind of relationship. And I'm, and you were sort of questioning like whether that means that this conversation itself is just like making a mountain out of a molehill, like, why are we even having it? Um, and so I'm just wondering, like, is that the only time that it came up? Is it the only, you know, like, or like, is there a way that even bringing it up raises questions that don't need to be raised on some level? for you, for you guys? So, I mean, I think the, the thing that everyone asks you as soon as you get married is if you're going to have kids or, or like when you're going to have kids. And so I think like that hypothetical, uh, is probably where some of our conversations happen around, you know, what is, what does it mean that, that we've gotten married and we have these two sort of separate traditions? Um, I think for me, I never expected or was all that, I never cared if I married someone who came from the same general background as me. Um, and so there was never any like familial pressure and your family was always like very lovely to me in terms of like bringing me into the fold. But I do think that there is some, like if, you, if you're talking about procreating, then people, uh, I think, you end up having to have a conversation about, well, is it, you know, is your, is your kid going to be Jewish? Um, and I think that's where I think some of those conversations come up. Well, inquiring minds want to know, Tom, is your kid going to be Jewish? I don't know. <laughs> they should choose. <laughs> the dog is Jewish. Yeah. Because <laughs> he's so anxious. So no, I, I think, I, I think it's also true that just in the process of setting up, like, like before we got married, like we lived with roommates, like I we were a little more transient in the last few years, not because necessarily of getting married, but like in the same sort of time period, we've kind of like actually moved into our own apartment and started making, like, I think some of these choices about the things that you just sort of implicitly thought you carried with you about the way you lived and who you were, you then have to sort of start to put them into practice and figure out like, am I going to be, if I'm going to live in the city in a long-term way, am I going to be part of any Jewish community or cultural community here? Are these things going to be kind of like reflected in the home that I make for myself? And I think that, so I think the conversation has continued to come up in part just because we're sort of at a phase. I, I think it's something about like the phase of life where you know, it was one thing for me in my early 20s to just be like, I don't know, I'm, I guess I'm Jewish. And now it feels sort of like I have to decide if that means anything functionally at all in our, in our lives. Bridget, why don't we go to you? If anything jumped out for you? Yeah, I was, um, I was struck, uh, Nora and Tom, by the idea of the ways that, that one partner's understanding, uh, or memory, uh, of, of events or conversations is different than the other. And 
And one thing that stood out to me, and Nathan, I've talked about this before, but he describes himself as constantly fleeing from Judaism only to be brought back in. And and for me, uh, as as his partner, it seems like I've known him for the most recent half of his life, and he's been barreling <laughs> towards Judaism uh, <laughs> at, at full force. Um, and and you know how, how I've understood it. And I think generally reading the conversation, I was thinking about the ways that uh, I was feeling a little bit obtuse because it feels Nathan described himself as being defensive and angry about the conversation. And I recognize my relationship with Nathan and my relationship with Judaism as just, I don't don't recognize it that much as, you know, intermarriage or interfaith. Um, I don't feel particularly, yeah, defensive or, or angry. It doesn't, it doesn't take up the same kind of I guess, um, space in, in my mind, as it seems to for, for Nathan. Um, I, I guess in some ways kind of thinking of myself, you know, for better or for worse is a little bit of like a, a serial monotheist of like, I first <laughs> took a religious, uh, or I first took a Jewish, uh, theology class to satisfy a theology credit at my Catholic college and, uh, you know, moved in with Nathan right after college we had met in high school and, um, have just, my entire adult life had a, you know, uh, Jewish life. <laughs> we don't, we've never had a Christmas tree. We've never had an Easter basket to kind of harken back to, to the conversation, um, to the round table that was, that, that was published. Um, but then in other ways, I was also struck by Nathan described a kind of spiraling before having this conversation asking, you know, why am I Jewish? Why do I care? And reading that I was, I was struck by the ways that his um, kind of conflicted relationship with his Jewish identity in some ways resonated with mine, even though I don't have an inheritance to that kind of spiraling. Um, As someone who's been, uh, you know, thinking about converting for a while and has just begun to convert, it's like, if I'm choosing it, shouldn't I be able to articulate why (laughs) and what, you know, Judaism means to me and what our practices and how that manifests and and my my belief, like, um, but I, but I, can't, uh, you know, in any kind of real way. And it, I feel conflicted about converting, um, kind of harking back to this like push and pull and fleeing and being brought back in that, that Nathan had described because converting feels very antithetical to the Judaism that I've, that I've practiced. Um, but yet it's like the kind of only way for me to like stake any kind of claim over, um, over like my (laughs) Judaism and not my, my partner is Jewish, but, um, so it feels like something that I not have to do, um, in order to be Jewish, but it, but it feels like a, a step and yet one that goes against the kind of ambivalence and, um, elusiveness and fluidity that kind of has defined my experience of, uh, of Judaism. It's, you have to choose it and like go through steps and like rules and process. And it, that's not, so that part feels foreign and yet it, is a step. Nathan, do you want to respond to any of that? Yeah, I think, no, I think it's super interesting to feel, I mean, I think it's interesting for one thing that you have a perception that I like a, the idea that I overestimate the degree to which my own Jewishness might actually be conflicted or if not conflicted, that I might be like uh, fleeing it as well as pursuing it or something. But I mean, what you're saying also really makes sense to me about, um, the kind of identification with the, just the tension between the available 
ways of engaging or participating or staking a claim on Jewishness, the tension between that and the like kind of Jewishness that you want to claim. It seems like there are more obviously available avenues to elect into different forms of Judaism that are more, that are, for example, like halakhically observant. There's like a clear framework there, um, which, which there's uh, less so if you're not, or if you're not even necessarily attached to like a particular movement. Um, I know there's also like political questions around that as they relate to like Zionism. What does it mean to convert to Judaism if you're not a Zionist? Obviously people do, but it is not like the easy, there's not the, it's not the path of least resistance. Um, it does feel strange to be fighting and working hard to join a community like at which like as an anti-Zionist, I feel I'm I'm automatically kind of fundamentally at, at odds with many people in that community about something that's very important to them. So sorry, I interrupted. No, totally. And I think it, it just resonates with like a question I think Ari asked in the round table around like, can you convert to secular Judaism? Um, taking like a broad view of of secular um, in the sense of like, yeah, any kinds of, uh, uh, yeah, non-halachic Judaism or Judaisms with a, with a more, with a different kind of relationship to, um, to observance or even a kind of sense that's like, we don't even know what this project is. And yeah. But in, in that case, then it's like, why should Bridget be any different than the rest of us? Right. I've been thinking a lot, Ari, about that question. Uh, can you convert to secular Judaism? Because I that that introduced an anxiety to me that I hadn't previously had about the moment in the conversion process <laughs> when I will be if I will be asked if I believe in like a higher, you know, like and 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 feeling like I don't quite know in the same way that I don't quite know um, succinctly or intelligently how to answer or even honestly how to answer. Um, why I want to convert to Judaism. I also, you know, have, I don't have a clear answer to the, to the non-secular, um, spiritual elements, uh, other than just being drawn to ritual, which in some ways feels, um, almost like it could be seen as trying on Judaism or, um, or being attracted to superficial elements, um, if not backed up by, by a, a specific or declared spiritual belief. And so wanting to avoid that, but also not really quite knowing how I feel about it, I I uh, sit in anxiety. Converting for the jokes. I was just going to say. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I just want to ask you guys one more question before we move on, which is, Nathan, in the conversation you described like Judaism as relational in some way and actually how your relationship with Bridget is actually a way in which you feel like you're consistently drawing closer to Judaism um, or like, or just for the two of you, like how that, how that functions. So I wanted to ask specifically about that. Yeah. So I said in the conversation that I think um, in a lot of ways, I don't, I don't know that my relationship to Judaism and Jewishness would be as central to my life as they are, if not for my relationship with Bridget. And I think the ways that's manifested, I mean, it's manifested partly through just like your developing interest. I mean, I remember like a conversation we had when we were both in college, I'm at different colleges when, when Bridget had been like taking classes on Judaism and getting more interested when you were sort of like, Oh, you kind of saying like, oh, maybe 
being a rabbi. It was like something I should do, which I reacted like very badly to. I like really did not like that idea for probably a lot of complicated reasons. That's me fleeing Judaism. Ah, okay. Um, <laughs> Saying but, you didn't want to be a rabbi, that's you yeah. fleeing Judaism. But I'm like, maybe I do. No. Um, but yeah, but I feel like, so that's like an instance in which maybe I'm like, yeah, not pushed away, but like, I don't know, we come into an interesting tension over it. But I feel like in other instances, there's just like, there's things I might I mean, I think it's partly because of part of the tension you're pointing to, Bridget, around the like ways in which if you're not, if it's not something you're born into, there is a kind of necessity to be electing things, even if that feels a little like uncomfortable or like at odds or something. Because I think like, I feel like we go to synagogue more often or have at certain points like we might go because you've wanted to, whereas I might've been like, I don't really want to or something because my, I can kind of rest in a Jewishness that sort of like can be continually latent or something and then just activated at any point. Um, whereas I feel like for you, that, that obviously isn't like an option in the same way. And so I feel like it's pushed me into more active um, engagement in those ways. But then I think the most core way other than like around certain forms of practice, like doing Shabbat stuff and stuff that I feel like, um, I don't know if I'd do if, if you weren't interested in doing it, it, I feel like it manifests a lot just in like conversations we have around ideas around things we're reading or whatever. And because that's like, I don't know, a form of a, a primary form of Jewish engagement for, for both of us, I feel like your interest in stuff has made me more want to like go down rabbit holes of stuff. Um, whereas I could imagine if not for this relationship, just like putting that energy into other spaces, or I don't know if it would have, I don't know, found that particular path. It seems hard to untangle becoming more um, Jewish, whatever that means, um, with, you know, coming to political consciousness or particular political ideologies, and also just intellectual interest development, like it all feels very, uh, you know, inextricably kind of um, connected for me. So so I think just, I mean, I don't know, I, I wonder how much of it is is who we are as people and as a couple, and also how much of it is uh, codependence or having um, just been together for for a long time. Um, yeah, and, and I think me, <laughs> I, thinking back, because in preparation for this conversation, you had asked me why I uh, told you that you should be a rabbi. And, <laughs> and I that caused a little bit of soul searching as well. And I think that's an example of me pushing Judaism, um, in a little bit of an unfair way, uh, because I knew that it was something that I wanted for myself and that my relationship with you was the most legible way into that. Um, and so if you were fleeing it, <laughs> then what am I? <laughs> um, and I think my pushing, uh, ritual and observance now might be a little bit of a manifestation of that. Uh, we also joke that I love Yom Kippur service. And I think that's like the last, that and the choice to convert and declare dogmatically my belief are the last vestiges of my Catholicism. I think maybe we should talk. Okay. Are you, I mean, you, you should talk. <laughs> oh, I see. Yeah. Where to begin? Um, I mean, it's, it's funny listening to Nora and Tom, um, because of this difference of experience, um, I was struck in the conversation that, you know, you felt that I was not, that I'm not a Jewish partner. Um, and at the same time, I was sort of 
like remarking to my mom who left the Jewish community like a long time ago and sort of discarded her Jewish identity that, that I feel quite Jewish in a way that it, uh, you know, the, the structure of my life is, or the, the days of my life are structured by like the Jewish holidays and by events in the Jewish community. Uh, and so, (laughs) I mean, so I was, um, I was also, you know, I thought Ari's question was, or Ari's question resonated with me, which is, you know, what is, what is it to convert to Jewish secular, to secular Judaism? Um, Because you feel like you just did it. I mean, I am, I feel more Jewish than I would have ever imagined. (laughs) I mean, can I share the fact that you um, told me after the conversation, I, I complained in the conversation that I was, I guess, sort of jealous of Nathan and Bridget on our Zoom um, Hanukkah candle lightings that they do it together and that I do it alone. And uh, after our conversation, Michael said that he wanted to learn the prayers, which was a very actually quite shocking thing for me. Yeah, I mean, my like, you know, non-participation is just because I was not raised with these uh, rituals. So they don't really have, like, I don't know their form and they don't really have, uh, like nostalgic resonance with me. And they obviously don't have a spiritual resonance with me. Um, so, but you do also go back and forth between like saying that you think they are like fine as a, as you know, benign and thinking that religion itself or anything resembling it is malignant malignant <laughs> yeah hostility i you do you do express hostility I'm just, towards I'm, I'm worried about its possible spread you know? like, <laughs> like that could be malignant or benign um yeah i mean i have a you know a sort of suspicion about religion and religious practices um you know reading the conversation you guys had i thought it was interesting what Josh said about like framing Jewishness as a sort of anti, like a act against Christian hegemony. Um, Yeah. And as someone who's not religious, who's believes very firmly in secularism, I think that there's a similar distrust of any sort of uh, religious rituals in the same way that someone might, be uncomfortable doing, you know, like Christmas or something like that. Um, and I think that that, you know, I think that's a real gray area with religious rituals because I think there's a lot of value in it and in what people variously believe and being able to participate in that. But I still have like a, you know, a personal discomfort with certain religious uh, observances. I'll just say one more thing, which is that I was reflecting a little bit after this conversation on, um, we, I'll just say without talking too much about them, that in the beginning of our relationship, there were a lot of arguments between the two of us about Jewishness, um, and about like whether my expression of Jewishness was like, kind of was found in the world at all, or whether I was like the, 
the only person who, who was like doing this weird thing and calling it Jewishness. <laughs> um, and we can talk about that in another part of this conversation. But the reason I was thinking about that is because one of the one of the really bad fights we had, I was actually functioning in almost exactly the same way as the Jewish establishment and basically saying to Michael, like, like you are actually not Jewish. Like you have seated any, like if there's like a Pew study, like you are not counted, like you are not, like you can't have a conversation with me, like quote unquote, as a Jew and like pretend to be on the same footing as me because you are not, uh, you, you don't actually like manifest that Jewishness in, in anything that you do. And, and I'm kind of like in this weird position now of thinking like, on the one hand, like, I feel like I'm right about that. And on the other hand, it does like replicate those exclusive dynamics, even in a relationship ostensibly between two Jewish people. Um, and so I don't know, but it, it is true that like, actually now at this point, like you do have to contend with Jewishness a lot. Like you go to a lot of Jewish every, events. Every morning, so. morning, noon and night. <laughs> I mean, do you have any thoughts about that? Yeah. I mean, about that argument specifically. Um, I mean, I, I take like your point of the time that there's, you know, that's that like engaging with both building Jewish traditions and Jewish culture are what make you Jewish to some extent. Um, and I think that, but that leads to the, like the question that I think that you wrestle a lot with is like, well, what does it mean to be like a non-Zionist, non-religious Jewish person? You know, like, where does that leave you um, in relation to that community? I don't wrestle with that question. You wrestle with that question. Okay. Like, <laughs> I feel like there is like a place or, you know, like, I feel like the point of this enterprise is to like prove that there is a, pr a place, but, um, but I feel like you often feel like that's not real or something. Well, I think that that is like a fight that you want to take up. You know, it's not a fight that I particularly want to take up um, because I wasn't raised in this community. You know, like so I don't feel like a particular in interest to convert them to a particular political position or something. Cool. Dan. Do you want to hop in? Sure, I'd love to. Um, I think the original question you asked, Ariel, was uh, of us, the partners, was following the initial round of conversation, what had come up in our conversations, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. us, the partners. And funnily enough, I think Ari and I have like constantly been talking about a, a sort of, I don't know what it is, a, a shared affinity for... Um, cultural Judaism or, or like a sort of, uh, mutual interest in like how we both relate to both Judaism or in my case, like being a lapsed Catholic and how that is the proximity that has to Judaism and the extreme distance that has from Judaism. Um, it's in one way, I think you might agree, a like defining thread of our, <laughs> of our relationship. Um, which, also leads me to, I feel a sort of need to justify being here because it is not a particularly fraught question whether or not Jewish people are allowed to live next to 
non-Jewish people. <laughs> the, the, the question of intermarriage doesn't seem to bear on a roommate relationship, but I think like that difference seems to be the like precise location where the question becomes interesting because no, we're not going to be discussing serious questions of like marriage rituals or like how Judaism affects our like shared life going forward or, or the children we will not have. Um, but instead it becomes a sort of more casual question of how like Judaism ends up being part of my life or our life regardless. Um, and how I in some way like live a secular Jewish life or, or at the very least live on the, on the border of it such that I'm constantly participating in its rituals and, and, and versions of it, um, and enjoying them. And yet I suppose also feeling a little bit on the outside of it somewhat necessarily and somewhat by choice and some weird distance between those things. Yeah, that's that's really interesting because it's almost like there's um, some kind of homology or like mirror between um, secularism and our and and uh, I don't know, <laughs> queerness, roommateism, like uh, whatever the there's there's some kind of parallel between the kind of the kind of limbo, I guess, um, of like occupying a position of secular Jewishness and the position that I guess we specifically occupy. It's really like it, it, it is more specific than just something like queerness, although that is the, um, I, I think like a useful-ish uh, shorthand for, you know, the, 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 cultural world in which it takes place. Um, but it is, I think, sort of specifically like uh, our situation, which like, I, I don't know, like I, I, um, well, <laughs> you'll hear it here first on this podcast, Dan, like I feel extremely lucky about our relationship and situation because I think that, um, I think that most people, uh, in their thirties either wind up partnering off or living alone or living with roommates that they're not close with. Um, and I think we wound up in this situation, um, you know, after many other living situations that we've both been in, like uh, briefly with each other and mostly just with other friends um, or other people. And, uh, and, and I think largely because of COVID, it became like we did, like this was like a thing that we talked about last year a bunch, that we did become in some way a little bit more like domestic partnery than it than might have happened otherwise. Um, even though we were close friends before, there were ways that our lives kind of like became intertwined or that we like had, you know, deliberate conversations about living together that like, I think just, you know, were circumstantial, but like, uh, you know, did sort of create a, a a new kind of thing that I, um, I don't know that I really like value a lot. And, and, um, but what's interesting about Jewishness in that case is that it does seem like, um, there's a way that it's like the last thing that either of our families would ever bother us about is like each other's 
religious affinities, right? Like, yeah. and there's like, and that actually is like a funny way that I guess queerness operates too, is like, we have complicated, we, we both have complicated relationships with our families around queer stuff and, you know, trans stuff in my case. Um, and it's almost like, I don't know, at, at this point, I think, like my parents used to say, you know, kind of like, we don't care who you marry, what gender they are, like as long as they're Jewish. But like, I actually think that that was before I came out as trans. And like, <laughs> I think that now that um, like it, it turned out shockingly that they're like a little bit less um, down for non, non-hetero um, kind of... Uh, the non the non hetero agenda um <laughs> that um you know that I, I i'm now i'm like oh like i don't think they care so much anymore and like um like or like it's like they kind of just want me to be like like safe or something like that's like now like the byword on some level so i don't know so all of that is to say sorry to ramble all that is to say like i think um that one thing that all of that like does almost in passing is it makes Jewishness into like a very like easy and like fun thing in our household because there's basically no pressure. And mm-hmm. also I think like what you, Dan, were calling your philosemitism, which you might want to talk about more because it also seems to be shared by many members of your own family, um, you know, also manifests in very funny ways, like, you know, you being the one to make me sit down and like, like you having like the encyclopedic knowledge of Seinfeld and <laughs> me being like a more casual fan or whatever. And like, you know, which is like, I just was thinking of before because, um, the, you know, this is a, a couple of people referenced it, but like, uh, the kind of, the kind of classic iteration of, um, the question of, you know, can you convert to secular Judaism? is like, uh, the, is he a dentist? Yeah. The dentist who, who, who converts for the jokes, right? So. Wait, I just want to quickly um, ask a question of the two of you, because Ari, in the conversation that we had, I mean, we were talking about basically like what is Jewish continuity outside of the the family? And you were talking about how in queer communities, there was all, there was all of this kind of like performative rejection of parenthood and how that was sort of like, kind of like an against reproduction a politics of being against reproduction, but actually it was sort of like a misapprehension of the fact that like we are constantly doing a, a kind of cultural reproduction, whether or not we're actually physically procreating, which I thought was um, really true and really astute. And I think one of the questions that I have is like, we're like in the situation where you and Dan, like in, in like, you know, mine and Michael's situation or Bridget and, and Nathan's situation, there's like a lot of like Judaism by osmosis, you know, and it's the same in your situation with Dan, but like Dan has nothing, you know, like that relationship itself, like that kind of reproduction in some kind of way, or that kind of like engagement with Judaism is not like recognized or measured or like it, it it's like stripped of its meaning in some kind of way. Um, and I'm just sort of interested in that because like, it's, it's actually not that much different 
um, than the situations that we are in, for example. But it's not, it's sort of like unrecognized and it has no, I don't know, it has no like formal unit of measurement or something. And I just, I don't know. I just wanted to see if that sparked anything for the two of you or anything it made you think about. Yeah. Uh, I think you could say there's like a kind of Jewish tradition often being like reproduced in, in, in our house and in a, in a sort of like, uh, I mean, certainly on, on, on the holidays, Ari celebrates them or observes them and, and does certain traditions that are like largely, uh, uh, not unfamiliar, but I don't know the first thing about what I would supposed to do. Which candle do you put in the menorah first? I don't know. Um, but you're also one of those one of those non-Jews who just like randomly like knows prayers half the time. Yeah, the, the, at some point, I mean, I went to enough bar mitzvahs growing up. As Ari was saying, my mom is from a classic Irish Catholic family from the '50s. Seven children grew up on Long Island, um, and her four older siblings all married Jews, and uh, when we moved to Evanston, that that is a like there's a fairly large Jewish population there, and all of my f- best friends were Jewish, and it I, I I couldn't say how that came to be. I think there was a sort of shared, not even humor, but a, a sort of um, wryness that I ended up uh, uh, picking up, um, and. Yeah, like you say, I mean, I, I'm sure there would be lots of people that object to Seinfeld being called like Jewish culture more than, you know, going to shul. But it it like, I think there are enough of those objects circulating in our house or apartment that, that it seemed, it feels like a very Jewish apartment. As, <laughs> as someone once pointed out, the Ari's menorah above a, a cabinet, somebody walked into our kitchen once and was like, is that Ari's pointing at the menorah? Um, yeah, I mean, I think um, I'm now just seeing that same kind of secular Jewish queer homology again um, in relation to the question that you were just asking, Ariel, because I think um, sort of famously, those are both big like cultural markers of New York, where I've it's the only place I've lived as an adult. Um, and so, and, you know, I think I really wanted to live in New York, um, largely because those are the like cultural modes that I feel most comfortable in. And, um, and I actually didn't really come from either, you know, like my, I mean, both because my family is, are, you know, conservative Jews in LA, um, who, while not super observant, live in a very different kind of Jewish world than um, than you know than the one that that I do now, and um, and I also think there are some ways in which I think like I you know adopted Jewish what I think of as Jewish ways of of thinking and talking and joking and so on. Um, that are actually like a little bit foreign to my family or like they're into it, you know, in some cases they're very into it, like, um, you know, as like a mode of cultural representation, but they don't, it's not really like, it's not their native tongue by any means. Um, And so, uh, 
you know, and often as not, it's actually like, you know, a, a, a point of disconnect between me and my family. And so I think in that way, it's like, that is like a thing that secular Jewishness kind of like holds, uh, like holds out the possibility of. It's like, it's like a space that, I again, I think maybe in New York more than in most places, um, that it's just kind of like possible to kind of like, um, almost invite yourself into, which is interesting also in terms of like, you know, like Bridget, what you were saying about the conversion question, um, that it just seems like a very different model where, um, again, there's like sort of not the same kind of pressure. Um, although I obviously understand why the kind of secular or secular-ish Judaism that you want to practice like is requiring the conversion. I don't know. It's an interesting... Uh, I feel like there's some interesting, like, uh, like split there or something. I, I, if I, uh, I, I do think, like, if I wanted to, I still feel on the outside of Judaism, which is fine. I'm not like, I, like you say, there's no pressure, and I'm like not interested in adding more tradition to my life. But <laughs> if I wanted to become Jewish, I think I would have to pursue Bridget's route. That like it is not enough to to, like, have an affinity for for like Jewish cultural objects and, 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 and Jewish traditions, even I would, I would feel it necessary to take it very seriously. Like if I actually wanted to like be able to say I'm Jewish, I, it wouldn't be enough to just, to just be like, you I know, mean, this I, is literally how I feel about transitioning. <laughs> like, I, I like It's like the most classic route. Like I was just a huge fag hag. And then I was like, okay, like, come on, we got to like actually convert, you know, like at a point, you're just like, come on. Well, but that's that's kind of the question that's coming up for me in this whole conversation. I think we can open it up now is basically just like on some level. I mean, like Mike, as Michael's been saying, he's sort of like, I am more Jewish than most American Jews at this point, just by virtue of living with you. But like that also makes it sound a bit like Judaism is just like kind of like a hobby or something. Or, or a and I think, yeah, right. And that's like, I mean, there was like, you know, on Twitter again, where we learn what the people think, you know, like. There's uh, there was someone who's just like, I think it's really interesting that the Jewish current staff like can't has no ability to define like why Judaism is at all meaningful to them or what it is or what it means, which I think is true. That is true. You heard it here first. We have no idea. But <laughs> but like, you know, like like it seems like the thing that's like standing in the way of it just being a hobby that you can like absorb through osmosis is the fact that it gets creepy to just like like it without being a part of it or something <laughs> <laughs> but it like i don't know what that means except that it's also as we talked about in the conversation right like it's also creepy that the alternative to just liking it is like inheriting it that you know it's it's creepy on all sides because the only thing that um, separates my Jewishness from like the sort of affinity from, for cultural objects that Dan was talking about is that, you know, my parents are Jewish. So I think that's where we, we get back to the, um, the sort of central conundrum of our, of, I think the round table that we had initially, which is that if you have no ritual in your life, if you are secular, then what is your, Jewishness other than an ethnic identity and if you don't want your your kind of like the most intimate space of your life to be defined by an ethnic identity and yet you want it to be somehow defined by Jewishness then where does that leave you and I guess maybe maybe this is a useful time to throw in a quote that um or a sort of like 
maybe kind of bastardized quote that came into some of our conversations leading up to this podcast, which is that we were sort of talking about the different ways that we like do Jewishness or identify our own Jewishness. And um, Ariel quoted a Jewish Currents contributor, Josh Lambert, in, in saying that everyone's Jewishness is just like what their family does. You know, when people say, I, I'm Jewish, they mean like, I'm like my family and my family does this. And that I think resonated with a lot of us, but definitely resonates with me. I don't think that my Jewishness has any content whatsoever that isn't just like really idiosyncratic and, um, and sort of like not universalizable to, to other Jews um, who aren't like from my, my particular tiny clan. And, um, and I think that um, when when our readers asked, like, why can't you say why Jewishness matters to you? I mean, the only, the thing that I think we're grappling, or that I guess I personally feel like I'm grappling with there is that obviously the things I grew up with matter to me to some extent because they formed me or I sort of can't escape them or trying to figure out how to carry them into my life going ahead that in a way that like feels right to me, but I don't really know how to disentangle um, doing that with Jewishness from just sort of like doing that with like, well, my parents do this. And, and so I tried to either do this or not do this. Nora, thanks so much for that. I just want to read, I mean, um, yeah, as, as, uh, Nora said, this, this came to me from Josh Lambert, basically being like, when all of you say Jewishness, what you really mean is my, is my family and where it came from. Uh, he sent me the source, which was, uh, Edwin H. Friedman from the book, from a book called The Myth of the Shiksa. And, uh, well, do with that what you will. And, uh, and I will just read the, the little quote that he sent. What I eventually came to learn was that in any family, but particularly in easily identifiably ethnic families, to the extent the emotional system is intense, members confuse feelings about their ethnicity with feelings about their family. The resulting inability to distinguish one from the other eventually leads to a situation in which reactions in the family relationship system are discussed with the vocabulary of the family's cultural milieu. I soon came to realize that focus on cultural background was a major way members of many Jewish families avoided focusing on their emotional processes. <laughs> um, so I don't know. I know, like, First of all, we have boundaries on this um, podcast, and I know that we're not like talking about anyone's families, but I do think there's like this question here about like, because in particularly like in a marriage framework, we are like assimilating into the other person's or not into the other person's family. And also like that is the site of Jewishness in like, or that, that's like what makes the site of Jewishness such an agita in these, um, in these conversations. So wanted to name that and throw out this quote. I'm struck by how it made me think of language acquisition, that like there's a certain degree that that your religious tradition is is something you learn without any desire or will of your own. It just sort of shows up. It is taught to you. It is reproduced in and through you. And then even if you want to get away from it, it is just your like your native language and then to come to it later in life is much harder and requires a lot of like effort and study, but you don't just quite swim in the same waters because you didn't have, and, and, and I think Nora's right that obviously the traditions are going to be idiosyncratic and different in every family. Like, uh, 
you, you, you can't just say like, oh, being Jewish is always like when my mom drops the, I don't know, thing. <laughs> That's the end of my knowledge here. <laughs> oh, yes, that ancient tradition when my mom drops the thing. <laughs> I don't know. So, well, in, in a way, I was harking, I was trying to think of an example, and all I could think of was Christmas stuff happening in my youth, that like I am in some way a fluent Catholic, even though I like couldn't, tell you the precise order of the commandments or the books of the Bible. Like there is a way that I feel like very Catholic, even though I haven't gone to church in I don't know how many years and like do not observe or care about it, but there's just a sort of innate environmental sense of it. Dan, I think that really resonates with my experience of like growing up, you know, like culturally Christian or, or, you know, sort of uh, waspish, um, but I think that the sort of tension that we have in our relationship over sort of like, you know, what, what place does some sort of religious identity, whether secular or, you know, whatever we interpret that to mean, usually it comes down to like, well, what do we want to replicate about our, our family experience? Like, which of these things that we've decided are, you know, uh, attached to some sort of cultural heritage, but maybe are just idiosyncratic things about like our specific uh, families of origin. Um you know, I think that's often what we end up talking about when we talk about, well, you know, how are we interpreting our sort of cultural heritage um, as we're sort of creating a new family unit on our own? But I do think some of this gets back to um, something that our colleague Josh Leifer said in the roundtable that Michael mentioned earlier, which is that some of what it feels like to sort of do Jewishness a lot of the time in the U.S. is to do it in sort of like contradiction to or like opposition to the sort of mainstream culture, which is Christian. So like a lot of my experience, one of the ways that my Jewishness manifested in my family of origin is that like we did the Chinese food in a movie thing on Christmas because I don't know, we just like that was that was something out in the ether that supposedly Jews do. And we were like, that sounds fun. And we did it. And we can't do Chinese food in a movie on Christmas because Christmas is important to your family. And I think as it's turned out is important to you. Like you were really, you know, you were happy last year when we got the closest thing to a tree that could fit in our tiny apartment, which was like some branches stuck in a bucket with like a bow on them. But that still seemed like really touching to you that we did that. And so I don't know, like I have to give up Chinese food in a movie because, um, it's not really fair to you to demand that we we observe my sort of like oppositional like absence of Christmas in the place of observing a holiday that you actually grew up with. I mean, maybe I don't, it's been humbling to realize what is, what traditions you can't escape, even if you think you're sort of rejecting uh, a lot about um, uh, you know where you where you come from, um, <laughs> which is something that I grapple with. You like Christmas. You just have to embrace it. I hate just myself. admit it on the podcast that you like. Christmas. Ari loves yeah. Christmas. I love Christmas, but this is a this is a topic for a future podcast. It, Many conflicting feelings about Christmas. Uh, the Jewish card stuff. I feel like I was cheated out of the Chinese food in a movie tradition. I was looking so forward to converting to that, but it hasn't. <laughs> I guess it's not part of. Your I don't really like movies or Chinese food. or Chinese food. <laughs> That much, I guess. <laughs> um, no, in fact, we do Christmas, which is, I mean, but we've compromised because in Michael's family growing up, because they were Buddhist, they called Christmas Children's Day. 
I don't know why. <laughs> Which really, really resembles Christmas in a lot of ways. But what they yeah. did is they had bagels and lots. <laughs> and we and we what we did with Michael's brother and his family and young child is like get a lot of Russ and daughters. And so like Christmas became like smoked. So I was like really anti, like I was just like, no, I'm not doing any of this. Don't get me a present. Don't do anything. But then they, every year would just get like all this smoked fish. And then I. Wait, this is so many twists and turns. I, I mean, so basically Michael's family has a very particular way of celebrating Christmas. Christmas Jewishly, but it's routed through Buddhism. Well, it's it's got a sort of Buddhist name. It's it's very Christmas, and like I said, there's we often had like a tree and things like that and presents. But part of the tradition was also to have bagels and locks. Um, I don't know where that came from. I know where it came from. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, right. And now Ariel. Ariel now has to celebrate it and is mad about it, even though it's exactly what she would want to be doing. No, it's no, literally it's, exactly what I would want to be doing. Ariel wants to celebrate it. Like I, when I became an adult, I stopped celebrating Christmas because for me, Christmas is a, a holiday for children. Uh, and then when we started Children's, children's Day, Day. Right? <laughs> the, the name says it all, you know? Um, but yeah, so, but I think that this is, you know, Ariel's dream. Whereas my dream would be to go to a movie and eat Chinese food. Um, but yeah, yeah, I get to hang out with my nephew and eat like 30 kinds <laughs> of smoked fish. It's awesome. But that like ties into the idea that these are more particular, like expressions of a particular family tradition than specifically ethnic expressions. I feel like I have an often activated anxiety around that with like, our relationship in terms of like, I feel like every Christmas I'm like, do you want to get a Christmas tree? Like, really, do you want to? It would be great or whatever. And you never want to. You think but... I have a hidden desire to celebrate Christmas and I and I don't. Well, because I think I it's very sweet. <laughs> yeah, I, I, well, for, I don't. Well, first of all, I like Ari like Christmas, but I though also my family did, um, you know, Chinese food in a movie um, and which is a tradition I now don't do and do miss though this last year because we didn't see either of our families because of COVID, we actually did do that, except we like watched a movie at home. But I, I guess it makes me think about like a broader thing with your relationship to Judaism, which is just this way in which I, it makes me think like, oh, if I were adopting a, you know, tr tradition system for my life that was different from my parents, like what would I feel about not doing things that I grew up with or whatever? Um, and then I like project that onto you in the sense of like, I don't know, I, I think I would really miss, I mean, a lot of, a lot of things, but like not celebrating, uh, I mean, Passover or even Hanukkah or something. So, yeah. Well, and I feel like that's been, that's been a thing that I, uh, I that I felt kind of conflicted or uncomfortable about is that, um, is that I feel a little bit less pressure to replicate my family's familiness in our family uh than i do to replicate your family's uh things and and how that has manifested at least um on the surface or at least in the beginning i think was in these kind of like um you know like i don't know just like 
femininity and domesticity, cooking, uh, acquiring a lot of Judaica, um, very like home centered things. Uh, and I, one thing, I mean, I always make, um, your, your, your father has your father, your dad, (laughs) my father-in-law has, uh, a latka recipe that I make every Hanukkah that I think I've done. I think one of the like first, like things that I did as a person who knew they wanted to one day convert was when I visited you in college and I made like a big, like Passover meal with your Jewish roommates. Uh, for, and so, so the ways that, I mean, that has felt uncomfortable as like a creepy, that like creepy voyeur, like (laughs) cultural artifact way, but then also uncomfortable because like, it's meant just like, um, yeah, like wifeliness or like womanliness. <laughs> like, uh, yeah, uh, there's so much Jewish home thing stuff. I mean, I never really felt that with obviously Christmas trees exist and we did, you know, I had like a rosary, but like Catholic, there just wasn't as much home gear. <laughs> um, and having our wedding, I mean, I just, we like just a, like getting married seemed like partly just acquiring a lot of Judaica with the idea that it would be, I mean, beautiful stuff from, from people that we love that, uh, that, you know, the idea is that this is, you know, with us forever. And this is our, like, this is our family's, um, things. Uh, but it's lots of, um, yeah. Candlesticks. We have a little key ring that says Shalom. (laughs) You guys have a lot of Judaica though. Like I see like in the background of Nathan, like like on Zoom and stuff, I'm just like, man, they have a lot of Judaica. Like, we don't have really any Judaica. Uh, what you think we do? Again, a higher percentage than I would have expected in my life. But <laughs> Ariel, you, you literally used to make Judaica. <laughs> I yeah. did, but but we didn't have. I used to make ketubas. <laughs> that was like a job that I had, and we didn't have one at our wedding, which is not something I ever expected. How to much not have more Judaica could we have? We could have a lot more Judaica. There's a lot of things. There's like we can give you a tour of our, <laughs> yeah. of our place here. Like I bet that you guys, Nathan and Bridget, I bet that you guys have a thing that's like for drizzling honey on apples. Do you have that? You don't. We don't have that. We don't have that. <laughs> like wandering into sponsored content. I'm just saying, like people have that. <laughs> You guys need to make money off this podcast somehow. (laughs) Well, I guess one of the questions that I have is sort of like, um, is like in the ways that this kind of conversation about family plays out is like the experience of the other person's family, like the reduction of everything in the other person's family to either Jewishness or not Jewishness. Like this is the source of the difference between our, between us. Um, when, when we, I will just share that on the, when we were like on the Jewish current Slack, like trying to be like, well, their family does this because they're not Jewish. And then the opposite thing would come in and be like, well, their family, my family does the same thing. And I always thought that it was because they were Jewish or whatever, you know, like our signals were completely crossed. Um, I don't know. I feel like there's something again in the same vein of like the arbitrariness of this whole exercise. (laughs) Um, But also the way that like the identity part of it feels so strong. Like it's like, this is the ultimate reason why. Um, I mean, Nora, I know that, that you and Tom like have different ideas. Like Tom thinks that your families are the same and you think that your families are different or something. Maybe I got that wrong. I wouldn't quite go that far. Okay. Um. (laughs) I I accurately summarized one argument that way. 
<laughs> but no, I mean, I do think we have a conversation about whether the differences in our families are reducible because I have a probably like extremely um, like unfair habit of reducing the differences to Jewishness and and goyishness, as I think I said in the Slack. And sometimes in a particular mood, I will look at the differences and think that, that that's accurate. But of course, like actually my family is just one collection of like weird and lovable people and your family is a collection of other weird and lovable people and they do really different things. But I, I do think there's something about like my family has a mode of conversation where we we like we're very like disputative as a family and like our the mode of conversation in my family is very like um sort of analytical I guess and the mode of conversation in your family as I said the other day is more narrative like you guys sort of tell stories and my family has like interpretive arguments um and to me that seems somehow to symbolize like the whole thing and to, but, but I don't know that that's really fair to say that that has anything to do with the fact that my family is Jewish. It might just be because like my father is like literally a philosopher. So that's what we do. We have arguments about like what things mean. That's our dynamic too, that the, the conflict is like one of the main, wouldn't you say that? You mean the main differences? Yeah. In like family structure. Yeah. Like my family yeah. is really high conflict and your family is like conflict avoidant. Yeah. Yeah. Um, definitely, definitely. Uh, but I don't know. Yeah. I, I guess I would read that as like, like a Jewish, non-Jewish distinction to some extent, maybe. I don't know. I would read that as like a Buddhist distinction. Cause that's one of the places where I find a lot of affinity between Catholics and Jews. Like my, my mom's extended family loves a, a good, loud argument and, uh, <laughs> I'm often finding myself like getting louder and argumentative with, with wasps who are like, Oh, calm down. <laughs> yeah. I think that we're constantly finding, uh, similarities between our moms, even though I, they're also very different, but we, I think we have similar relationships to them in certain ways. And, um, yeah, it's just interesting that that's like, this might be another place where it's like easier to see sameness when the stakes are lower in the sense that we're not actually like part of each other's families of origin. Um, we've met each other's parents, but there's no, you're, I mean, you and my mom have texted about Macy's, <laughs> but it, you know, it goes no further than that. that. Alliance based around Macy's. Mm -hmm. Right. There's no expect. <laughs> it's great. There's no expectation that I like get to know them or like learn about them or yeah. Yeah. So the affinities such as for Macy's can <laughs> remain kind of objects of uh, sporadic delight as opposed to anything else. Yeah, I, I've been hearing more, um, yeah, more more differences between waspishness and and Catholicism in, in this conversation. I think because I, I mean, I, I mean, I guess I would, I would say um, a pattern of of similarity or sameness to some extent with our families. Maybe you disagree. 
Oh, wait, what is? Like, that that I tend to think of our families more in terms of similar sets of affinities or ways of thinking about things or approaching things. Although I guess we could say, like, my family may be less conflict avoidant than yours. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I definitely see many similarities, but also to, like, Nora's point around, like, the differences being reversible. That It's an instance yeah. where I sometimes think, like, oh, yeah, people say, like... Um, well, a lot of the people here have experiences of Jewish families that are that are more like uh, conflictual, and I don't think my family is. Though in other ways, um, that I do recognize like the ways people think of of Jewish families. So, so basically, what we've learned is we st- Jewishness means nothing, and it's just a way of avoiding <laughs> the way that we talk about our families, right? <laughs> But I do think that the one big difference that I felt when we were getting married and and speaking to a rabbi and doing, I guess, what could be called like premarital counseling in some way. They do call it that. They Okay, well, but that's, I mean, that's that's it is, is I think the difference was you were comfortable talking about your family of origin with a stranger and I was not. (laughs) Um, That's very true. And I was like, (laughs) yeah, And, and me even being like, you know, what, what one could call premarital counseling. It's like, that's literally what it, what it was. Like he was a trained, like, well, he's a trained Apple genius. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, right. Your rabbi was an Apple genius. Yes. Yes. Uh, But he's also like a trained therapist. (laughs) 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 Another, another sponsorship (laughs) opportunity here. Um, But yeah, I, I just was like, um, we even had to fill out a a survey of of our experience of of each other that I lied on uh, to like make our relationships. <laughs> I re- I refused to express any conflict or uh, or um, issue in our relationship to to the rabbi and Nathan saying like a canary and I and I had a little bit of the like Corleone like <laughs> don't don't let anyone know what you're thinking. Um, not wanting to talk about my family or our relationship with, with, with someone. And you were very open to that. So, um, that felt, I think we chalked that up to a Jewish Catholic divide mm-hmm. Yeah. in, in, in the moment. Okay. I'm going to try something sort of weird, um, for the end of this. Uh, if it, if you don't like it, we don't have to do it. Um, but because I'm like sort of spiraling in terms of thinking that Jewishness is like a cipher that means nothing. I may, I may want to ask the non-Jewish partners to say something. I'm sorry, you have to, I, cause I feel like Bridget is actually the person who could probably speak the best to what Jewishness means. The rest of us are in trouble, honestly, <laughs> but I, I, I want to see if there's like something that the, the partners can say about even just if it's the smallest thing about a definitive statement that feels like it has value or like, if we can't do it, it's okay to say like, we can't do it, you know, but like in terms of like something that it's like brought into your life or, or like, I don't know, maybe this is not fair. It probably is not fair, but I'm just sort of like curious because I think we talk about this all the time and end up nowhere. So I'd just like to see somebody else flounder and we can take a minute (laughs) Um, (laughs) um, but just to think about like, if there, if there is some way, some story that, that you can tell to yourself about what the value is, or even if you're, as you're watching us 
as you're personally thinking about it or as you're watching the other person deal with it, like, what is that about? It seems to me, and this is a place, a really important place that I think it's distinct from Catholicism. There's a kind of positive fatalism that Catholicism very emphatically lacks. Like there's, there's this sort of like perverse negative anti-fatalism in Catholicism where like you might not even die. You'll just live in torment forever. Um, whereas like I, I was, I grew up in Vermont and we moved to Evanston when I was eight. And so I met in Vermont one Jew. And so like had no exposure to it. Well, and my uncles, but I moved to, we moved to Evanston and I met many Jews, including Leon who became my best friend. Um, and there's a kind of, I didn't immediately n notice a like affective difference or anything. I, I think it had to be named for me by, you know, <laughs> some sort of fucked up Christian hegemony. But um, when I discovered the like, the, the like difference or something, there was a kind of like resignation that was celebrated. Like, well, it's important that we just keep this thing going. And it, it really felt like a kind of, um, attitude that indeed my, my mom has sometimes a bit that like, like, oh man, things are, I guess we made rent this month. We're going to get through it. All right, let's go. Come on kids. Let's go. And, and this kind of just picking everything up and, and like reproducing. We're, we're just, we're going on this. This is it. We're having fun, aren't we? And that seemed like, uh, uh, particularly Jewish, not affect, uh, uh, uh I don't know, attitude or, 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 or approach to the world. I think somewhat similarly to that, um, I think the the sort of structures for processing and talking about pain and loss are something that I find really useful and I kind of wish that I had had earlier in my life. Um, you know, the, some of this being cultural, some of this also being sort of like very specific rights around um, loss and death and you know, a real comfort with sort of sitting with grief that is culturally and uh, foreign to me, uh, but that I find really useful. And I think that like I have adopted more of that as time has gone on. Yeah. And I, and I, I don't know, I have, I have trouble thinking about this outside of the kind of, um, I mean, I always, the, the rabbi from whom I, I took Jewish theology classes at as I said, my, my Catholic college, um, he would always, and he would always say like the good, there's good news and bad news. Like the Jews have no Pope and the Jews have no Pope. And that was, um, he was teaching about Judaism to Catholic, you know, to largely Catholic students. So framing it in that way. And I have trouble thinking about this outside of that, outside of, um, outside of the, you know, the, the things that people just say is like Judaism allows for questioning and, um, and interpretation. Um, but that does also feel like true for me uh, in that, you know, um, Catholicism does, does not. <laughs> and I, and I think that, that there's, there's something that that's been a little bit tricky for me is, is Catholicism is so, and I know that we're not answering what is Catholicism, but it's so literal and Judaism is so like excessively some like symbolic like there's so much so like just like layers and layers of just like excessive and like disputed and, and multiplicitous symbols um 
and uh and that feels that feels comforting and that feels and that feels nice um but but as as Catholicism is is so literal it's also just like not a very at least my experience of it was not a very textual thing um and I think that part of the way that the like excessive symbolism e- even outside like outside of the kind of cultural artifacts that we've talked about and outside of um you know actually like you know this symbolizes this and that's what a symbol is <laughs> um uh, like like this candle symbolizes this or you know smell this or you know um it symbolizes that um eat this at this day it symbolizes this um outside of that is also the just like the the like close textual attention that Judaism and that Jewish texts broadly interpreted lend itself to um that to me has felt distinctly and valuably jewish um i close reading (laughs) close reading like really diving in uh a kind of like deconstructionist like just like uh attention to text um seems like a jewish thing i guess that's me then um i mean i think this is just a whole ploy for me to get Michael to say something good about Judaism. <laughs> just one wow, thing. Wow, wow. <laughs> well, I feel like building on what Tom and Bridget said um, and Dan, uh, that there's lots of these sort of uh, cultural traditions that really speak to me, like um, a comfort with grief, a comfort with, yeah, disagreement and conflict. And also a comfort with pessimism, which was, you know, really appealing to me coming from Buddhist parents in California. Um, But I think that there's like, to me, um, sometimes thinking about this in our relationship and thinking about the importance of the, the lineage of the Jewish tradition or like trying to find the importance in it, um, what really speaks to me is this tradition of like self othering in exile um, that most of the bulk of the tradition comes from a period in exile after the, you know, the second temple was destroyed and, um, and this like refusal to assimilate when assimilating meant not only joining the dominant religion, but also becoming part of the state and the apparatus of the state. So to me, a lot of the traditions and the, the point of the endurance, the, you know, the suffering and the resistance to, you know, pogroms and genocides and things like that, um, speaks to a commitment to, I don't know, some kind of, some kind of identity that's outside of a state structure, outside of a sort of dominant religious structure. Um, And that that is an sort of an important tradition to carry on through thousands of years, Um, even at sort of pain of death. Wow. 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 Well, thank you all. Uh, for coming on this weird experience with us where we uh, also this is a social experiment in another way because it's so hot in our room without the AC we're just like (laughs) roasting in here Um, (laughs) but uh, yeah thank you guys for for 
doing this with us, um, even though it's like weird and personal and also a weird way to meet your coworkers, spouses and also your spouse's coworkers. Um, anyway, um, <laughs> no, I'm really looking forward to the, the Christmas party this year. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I kind of feel like we all just went on vacation together. I, I, I'm supposed to tell you to, um, to subscribe wherever you get podcasts and also to leave us a review. Um, I imagine you know how to do that already um, because that's something you do in your life as a podcast listener. So do that for us. <laughs> I obviously know what a podcast is and, um, <laughs> and that's it. This has been another episode of on the nose <laughs> Jewish currents. <laughs> Can't get enough Jewish Currents? Keep in touch with us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. And visit jewishcurrents.org to subscribe and see our latest. A very special thanks to Nathan Salzberg for providing us with the music from his album Landwerk No. 2, and to Santiago Elu Cantero for producing this segment. Thanks for listening. That's all from us.